Well, um, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, we are continuing in our study through this book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at the first half of chapter 14 as we travel through today, but I wanted to go back to chapter 12 for just a few minutes. And you'll recall from previous studies that Paul is responding to a list of questions that have come from the church. So the church had some questions, they send a list to Paul, and he's writing the answers back to this church. A few weeks ago, we came to chapter 12, and you'll recall that chapter 12 all the way through chapter 14 deals with the issues that we commonly refer to as spiritual gifts, and then the context is what takes place in the church service. So we're going to talk about that today. Now, as I've said, this is somewhat of a controversial subject, so over the last few weeks I've said there's going to be something in here to offend just about everyone, but if you were not offended the last couple of weeks, I assure you today we will find something. So so hang on, we'll see what we do. Every week, my big question is what do you leave in and what do you leave out, because there's so much more. So I've, I've had to go through and... and you know, come to the place and say, this is what you really need to know, and, uh, but, but there's a, a lot, lot more. But we began the last couple of weeks when we came to chapter 12 by beginning with asking the question, what is a spiritual gift? And so each week we've looked at the same verse, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. I put it there in your outline, and uh, we'll, I want to underline once again, it says, God has given each of us the ability, underline ability, to do certain things well. So a spiritual gift is a God-given ability to do something well. And there's a number of different gifts. And and so if you're here today and you're a believer, notice it says each one, every believer gets at least one spiritual gift. And I would suggest that most of us have more than one or several, but nobody gets all of the gifts. Nobody gets all of the gifts. And so as uh, we began this discussion, another thing that we considered was that when Paul began to write this church, All the way back in chapter 1, Paul makes a very interesting statement. I've put that statement again there on your outline. Paul said this, writing to this church in Corinth, in the very first chapter, in the seventh verse, he says, Therefore you, as a church, do not lack any spiritual gift, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. It was their understanding that spiritual gifts were given as they were awaiting Jesus to be revealed. It would be their understanding that those spiritual gifts would be in operation until Jesus was revealed. That is, until Jesus comes back to the church. And so we've referenced that a a couple of times as we've traveled through. And we begin in chapter 12. Now I want to go back to chapter 12 and highlight a couple of verses just to, to bring us back up to speed. But um, in verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. And you'll recall that in this letter, as Paul is answering questions, every time he comes to a question that they have, he says, now concerning. This is their next question. And so he's going to begin to answer that. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. And and, uh, we we made the reference that sadly, the one thing that Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware of. Some of your Bibles would say, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. This issue of spiritual gifts is one of the things that that many Christians are unaware of or or ignorant of. The very thing that Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware. Then in verse 4, we notice he says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And we talked about how He uses varieties in the plural and then gifts in the plural. The idea is that 
if you have a gift and somebody else has the same gift, how God works it out in your life might be a little bit different than the way that God works it out in somebody else's life. And we talked about that at length a couple of weeks ago. Back in verse 7, we notice that he says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the common good. So God gives gifts, we would say the manifestation of the Spirit, but the reason that he gives them is for the common good. It's for the common good. It's something to be a blessing to the entire church. And then in verse 12, we notice that he said, for even as the body is one, and yet it has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. And so we talked about how gifts are your part in the body. And he uses the illustration of the body and every body has a number of different parts. And for the the body to work properly, uh, each part has to work. And when one part, one gift stops working, then then it affects the the entire body. And so we talked about that. So chapter 12 was this introduction. And we looked at that two weeks ago. Then last week, we looked at chapter 13. Paul says in the middle of this conversation about gifts, he talks about what you and I would call this agape love, that the gifts have to be operated in this agape love. And if it's not, then we're just noisy gongs, clanging cymbals. It you know, has no value, has no meaning. Um, but then we come to chapter 14. Now, chapter 14 is going to be where Paul really begins to, to talk about the, the gifts of the Spirit as they are to be operated within the church service. So I think you're going to find this interesting, interesting today. So we're going to pick it up in verse 1, and you notice it says, Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So we're going to find, again, the context is going to be within the church service, and that will come up several times. Paul says, I want you to pursue love, and that's that agape love that we talked about last time. And yet, on the other hand, I want you to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Apparently, within this church, there were some problems regarding the the use of the gifts, and we'll, we'll see specifically within the church service. So Paul here, when he says, pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, he's not in any way denying the use of the gifts, but he's seeking proper usage. And many times in the church world, what we do is we see somebody does something and they're over here and they're abusing something. So what we do as a church is we respond and we say, because they abuse, we will never use. And and we do that in a number of different ways. So if you and I were to see somebody, and let's say they weighed a thousand pounds, we would look on and we'd say, somebody has been abusing food. And so if we were to say, well, because they abuse, I'm never going to use food, we'd say, well, that's not appropriate either. So the abuse or the no use is is not proper. We would seek to find that proper use of food. It's the same thing with spiritual gifts. So our goal here today is not to move into abuse or non use, but to seek out what we would call proper use. Does that make sense? That's you say yes like you mean it. Okay, good. This is a very controversial subject, so I need all the help I can get today. So we're going to pick it up. Verse 1, he says, pursue love, yet desire desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Verse 2, with your pen in hand, he says, for one who speaks in a tongue, now underline this, does not speak to men, does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. 
When it says he speaks in a tongue, the idea is that's going to be a language that's not known to the person who's speaking it. That's, that's uh, what tongues is, speaking in a language that that person doesn't know. One of the things I want to highlight here, and I had you underline, he says, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So write this down. Tongues is speaking to God, not men. That's very important for our study today. Speaking to God, not men. You'll remember back in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's about to ascend to heaven. He turns to his disciples and he says, very soon you're going to receive power from on high. And uh, we know the story how it's on that day of Pentecost, eight days later, that the apostles, as the Holy Spirit descends on them, they begin to speak in tongues. And as they begin to speak in tongues, the, the people around them begin to describe what the apostles are doing. And so there on your outline, the description of the people around them is simply this. The, the crowd responds by saying, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Does everybody see that? Now that's important because they were declaring the wonders of God. They were not preaching. They were not giving a message and they were not teaching. They were simply declaring the wonders of God. We would say that they are, they are praising God. They're just declaring the wonders of God. That's important because in verse 2, he says, for the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So verse 2 tells us that, that tongues is always speaking to God, not to men. Now, why is that important? Well, if, if you've been around the, the, the church block, you might say, and you've been in a more charismatic environment, one of the things that's very common is somebody will speak in a tongue, and somebody will say, well, I have the interpretation. And when they begin to interpret, the interpretation will go something like this. They'll, they'll begin to interpret and they'll say, my little children, I have loved you with an everlasting God, uh, everlasting love, and I seek to do this in your life. And it's a message from God. The problem with that is that the Bible tells us that tongues is always speaking to God. It's never a message from God. We'll see that time and time again as we travel through. So that's the first thing that you want to notice. Verse 3 He says, but the one who prophesies, this is going to be very different, speaks to men, underline that, speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So in verse 2, we saw that speaking in tongues is something where somebody is speaking to God. In verse 2, it says he doesn't understand it's mysteries. He's speaking mysteries. But he's speaking to God, whereas prophecy is going to be very, very different. Prophecy is going to be uh, speaking to man. We would say God's speaking to man. In our day, when we think about prophecy, we tend to think about telling the future. So like every year, the National Enquirer comes out with their predictions for what's going to happen this year. Hopefully you got your copy. But the idea is here, what we find in this verse, when it's defined, it's not going to be so much foretelling the future as forth, well, I put it there in your outline, forthtelling the heart of God more than foretelling. Here, prophecy is defined for us. Verse three, he says, but the one who prophesies speaks to men. Now, now here's the definition. For edification, and that edification is building you up, building you up. So when I... I come before you and I teach the Bible, hopefully that builds you up in your faith. For uh, edification, for exhortation, some of your Bibles will say encouragement, exhortation is more, you can do this, let's get going, you know, take that step, go forward, and then consolation. Now you're having a difficult time, God's going to see you through, uh, he's going to meet your need, that, that's what that is. And the Bible says that's what prophecy is. 
Now, um, well, there on your outline, I put it from the NIV. It says it just a little bit differently, but the same idea. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. But, but it doesn't say anything about telling the future. So the question is, can it be telling the future? Absolutely, it can be. But in this chapter, every time it talks about prophecy, it's going to be edification, consolation, and, and encouragement. That's, that's the idea. So write this down. The point here is that prophecy is speaking to man, not God. Speaking to man, not God. So it's very, very different than tongues, where tongues is speaking to, to God. Verse 4, it says, Now the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So you want to underline that, edifies himself. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now underline that, edifies the church. So it tells us, tells us something here. And I want you to write this down. Speaking in tongues says the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. The word edify means to build up, just to build up. So speaking in tongues apparently would be good for the individual. Write that down. It's good for the individual uh, to edify, to build up. Now, in Jude, tiny little letter just before Revelation, it says this, there in your outline. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. How do you do that? Praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit. So it, it's, it's something good in the sense that it builds you up spiritually. We would say it builds you up spiritually so that you can be used for the, the common good. So that would be tongues. It's good for the individual. Verse 4, it says, Now the one who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Edifies the church. So whereas tongues is good for the individual, prophecy, edification, consolation, encouragement is good for the church. And you want to write that down. It's good for the church. Now that brings us to, to verse 5. And before we get into verse 5, here, here's what you need to know. In, in verse 5, I need to speak to two separate groups of people. One group of us is going to underline part of the verse. Another group of us is going to underline another part of the verse. So um, the first part, as you know, I was raised in a, um, a wonderful, wonderful church. I grew up as a Baptist. We were Southern Baptists. And, and what that meant was that on Sunday morning, you were at Sunday school, which started at 930 which was followed by church at 11 a.m., just like the apostles. And so you had that at 11. And then Sunday night, there was training union at 6, and then there was church at 7, and, uh, which was followed by Wednesday night, there was the RAs, royal ambassadors, for those of you who, who know. How many of you know what RAs are? Okay, so you have the royal ambassadors, which was followed by church on Wednesday night. And don't even get me started on Tuesday night spaghetti dinner followed by visitation because we were coming to your house. And so we, we had that environment. Now in that, in that church, um, in that church, um, we read from the King James only. We didn't just read from the King James, we dust spake in King James. And in King James, we dust spake yea verily. So although we didst speak in King James, yet in tongues, we spake not. (laughs) 
Now, I, I have a, a wonderful church background, wonderful, and, uh, you know, so if you were raised a Baptist, you know that the old saying is, uh, you, you, maybe you're not in a Baptist church anymore, but, but you know, Baptist born and Baptist bred, and when you die, you'll be Baptist dead. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't leave you too far, so it, but it's fun to have some fun with it sometimes. So if you come from a background like that, let me see how many of you come from a background like that, okay? You're going to underline the first part of this verse, okay? You can do it. Here we go, verse five. Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, become scripture, underline this. Now, I wish that you all spoke in, say it. (laughs) Underline it. Don't make me come down there and underline it in your Bible. (laughs) Okay, did you underline it? Thou didst not die. Okay, so that's one group. Now, maybe, maybe you come from another part of the church and um, more of that charismatic background. The first church I, I pastored in was, was um, very, very, very. And so we had things like we had what we would call flame meetings. Now, a flame meeting would be where every month they'd bring in a different, a different prophet and then the whole church would come together and everybody spoke in tongues in the church service and then we sang in tongues in the church spirit. And everybody knew just, just when and then kind of had that crescendo there that you have. And uh, so, so we did that. Maybe, maybe you're in that church and you're part of the modesty ministry. Now, the modesty ministry, for those of you who come from my more earlier church background, the modesty ministry would be when one of the sistren would receive the empowering or the, the slaying in the spirit, they would go down. And so that there was modesty, you would run up and you would throw the blanket over them so that there would be modesty in the church. Any modesty ministry people here today? Okay, see a couple of hands over there. That's good. Okay, now, thou didst not speak in King James in that church. You spoke in the NIV. Now, which, uh, you know, you were, you were considered to be NIV positive. And so <laughs> people, people from my background would look on and say, well, that's your problem right there. No wonder you're falling on the floor. So anyways, so one group, you, you read, you underlined the first part. The, the next group, you, you don't have to underline the first part because you apparently got the first part. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Now, you underline this. But even more that you would prophesy and greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues. Uh, and so the, the, you underline that. So we're going to read on. He says, unless he interprets so that. Now, I want everybody to underline this phrase that the church may receive edifying that the church may receive edifying. So underline that. I'm going to go to verse six. He says, but now brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching or of teaching? So here, um, here he says, you know, if I come to you and I'm, I'm just speaking in tongues, I'm not really going to be a benefit to you unless I come to you speaking by way of revelation, knowledge, teaching. So Paul is beginning this conversation. Here's what he's saying. I want you to write this down. Paul is saying, in church, do what benefits the whole church. Do what benefits the whole church. And then if you go down to verse 12, notice he says, so also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound. Like, put your emphasis on this. 
for the edification of the church. You want to underline that, for the edification of the church. So Paul is saying, in church, you want to do what benefits the whole church. And here's why, verse 7. Verse 7, he says, Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the notes or in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, you don't know what it's really playing, how, how, who will prepare himself for battle? Who will prepare himself for battle? So the idea is that if they're playing the trumpet, the bugle, and it's in the military, and they're not playing a distinct sound, you don't know whether it's time to, to charge, to retreat, or just go to breakfast. Because you, it, it doesn't make any sense to you. And that's the idea. So then Paul goes one step further, and in verse 9, you notice he says this. He says, so also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. So Paul says, when I come to church, I, I'm not benefiting you if I'm speaking in a tongue. And I benefit you if I speak by way of revelation or instruction, something, something like that. Verse 10, he says, there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world. And, and no kind is without meaning. If I then do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian and, to, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. I know some of your translations will say a foreigner to me. The word barbarian in the original language is, is barbaros or they would say barbar. And the idea is that when you heard somebody speaking in another language, you say, you know, they were speaking bar, 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 bar. I don't understand. That's the idea of what he's saying. So if you were speaking to somebody in another language, they could be speaking, but you can't communicate. You don't understand what they're saying. Verse 12. So he says, so also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. And we underline that, the edification of the church of the church. Here at Calvary, we seek, we embrace the gifts of the Spirit. We hold that they were given to the church and to individuals, and they would be in operation as the church waited for the revelation of Jesus. That is when Jesus comes back for the church. However, in church, we seek to do that which is edifying, builds up the entire church. That makes sense? So, so that's a little bit of our, our methodology. Now, verse 13, he says, now, therefore, let the one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray, under, underline that, in a tongue, my spirit prays. Underline my spirit prays. But my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? And you'll notice there where it says, what is the outcome? Some of your translations will say, what is, or what then? And the word outcome is italicized. It's not in the original language. Paul could be, uh, literally is just saying, so what then? The idea. What is the outcome then? Paul says, I will pray with the Spirit, and underline that, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, I will sing with the mind also. So here in, in this passage here, in verse 13 or verse 14, he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. So here, here's what he's telling us. There in your outline, you want to write this down. Paul tells us that tongues is a form of prayer. It's a form of prayer. And once again, because it's a form of prayer, it's always going to go from man to God. Man to God. It's never from God to man. 
And uh, that is a continuing uh, a theme here in this passage. Verse 15 says, so what is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. So Paul says, so I will pray with the Spirit. We'd say that's praying in tongues. And then he will sing in the Spirit. So he, he sang in tongues in the Spirit. But there on your outline, I want you to write this down. Paul is saying, praying with his mind and praying with his spirit are both valuable and important. Both valuable and important. Verse 6, we were told, Paul says, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will it profit you? And then we saw in verse 12, he says, um, in verse 12, he says, so also since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. So apparently, as Paul is making this point, it's something that, that he would participate in, but it's not something for the church because he's going to focus in on what's best for the whole church uh, when, it, when it comes to church. So apparently when Paul says, I will pray with the Spirit, I will sing with the Spirit, if Paul's making the case, and we'll see it just continues, that this isn't something that he does in the church service, then he's got to be speaking about his own personal prayer time or another venue that would be outside of the church service, outside of the church service. Now, when Paul says there in verse 15, he says, so what is the outcome? He says, I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the Spirit. Um, there are those who will say something like, okay, I, I get it, I see it, I believe it, but I have to tell you, it's never happened to me. Remember, Paul says, I will pray with the Spirit. Because it's prayer, prayer never happens to anyone. Prayer is something that you decide to just do. And so when you pray in the Spirit, that's not something that will ever happen to you, never happens to us. It's something that we just do, we decide to do. That's why Paul doesn't say, when it happens, he says, I will pray in the Spirit I will pray with my mind. But it will never happen to somebody. It's something that they choose to do. Does that make sense? So I I believe that this is a very valid gift, but it's not something that ever happens. And it's something that that is a, a wonderful addition in a personal prayer time. I do not believe in some of the antics that are associated with, with this gift. For instance, teaching people how, how to speak in tongues. And uh, it's, it's very common to get into a congregation and say, so today we're all going to learn how to speak in tongues. And so I'll say something, and then you repeat after me. And uh, they'll say something like this, my mama, and then the whole congregation says, my mama. Gada, and the congregation says, gada. They say, new Honda, new Honda. <laughs> we're going to put it all together. My mama, Gada New Honda, okay? Now we're, my mama got a new Honda. And we're gonna say a little bit faster. My mama got a new Honda. My mama got a new Honda. And hopefully if we get this thing going fast enough, it'll take off. That's the kind of the idea. So, uh, so we don't do my mama got a new Honda here. And, but if your mama got a new Honda, well, good for you. But, but we don't do that here. Aren't you glad? What's the other thing that they say? What is it? I know my mama got a new Honda, but there's another one. Do you know the other one? Can you say it? 
What is it? Coming in a Hyundai. Is that it? Coming in a Hyundai. My mama got a new Honda. I'm coming in a Hyundai. Well, we know what church you've been going to now, don't we? Okay. That's good. I'm going to use that next service. So. Actually, what I'll do is one side will go, my mama got a new Honda. And the other side will go, I'm coming in Hyundai. So back and forth. Ladies only. So, all right. So we're, we're going to continue on. I think it's just best to do. Verse 16. Otherwise, verse 16, if you bless, my translation says bless. I think some of your translations might say praise. If you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted, some of your Bibles will say unlearned, say the amen at your giving thanks. The amen at your giving thanks. Underline giving of thanks. Since he does not know what you're saying, for you are giving thanks, and you want to underline that well enough, but the other person is not edified. The other person's not edified. The word amen is one of those words that translates like the word hallelujah in different languages. It's, it's the same word. Amen just means so be it or we agree. So if somebody is blessing or praising in the spirit it, and uh, it's very hard for somebody who's unlearned who doesn't know that language to say amen or so be it or I agree because I don't know what you're saying. That's the idea that Paul, Paul is making. But one of the things he does say in verse 17, he says, for you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. The other person is not edified. So write this down. Tongues, we said, is always from man to God. And then we saw that it's a form of prayer. But here we're told that tongues is a form of giving thanks to God, a form of giving thanks to God. And then once again, you notice the direction of tongues. It's always from man to to God. If you're praying, that's from man to God. If you're giving thanks, it's from man to God. But nowhere in your Bible is it ever God giving a message to or through somebody else. I put that there on the NIV translation. He says, if you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you're saying? So once again, it's, it's praising, it's to, to God, but in the church service, it doesn't help because, because nobody can really say amen at that. So verse 18, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all you, or, or more than you all. I, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, and that, however your Bible says it, you want to underline because it's going to be, I do this here, however, over here on the opposite ends, he says, in the church, and you want to underline that. I desire to speak five words with my mind that I may instruct others, instruct others. Also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul does practice the speaking in tongues. He says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Uh, We're going to find out that, that he doesn't do that in the church service. So apparently, this is something that Paul would practice outside of the church service maybe in his personal prayer time or in another venue that would be outside of the church service. But we also notice something else here, uh, and write this down, Paul, it indicates that Paul refrains from tongues in church. 
the word however there that uh, connects verses 18 and 19. He says, I thank God I speak more in tongues more than you all. However, he stops and says, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind that I might instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul tells us something else in this. He says, in church, I'd rather instruct. I'd rather speak five words that you can understand than 10,000 words that you can't. What this means, and you want to write this down, the goal of the church meeting from Paul's perspective is instruction. Some of your Bibles will say teach or teaching. How many Bibles say teach there? A couple, okay, good. Uh, We'll say teach. That's why here at Calvary, we embrace the gifts of the Spirit. We believe that they were given to the church. They're in operation until as we wait for Jesus to be revealed. However, in the church service, we focus in on the teaching of the Word of God. Uh, You would hear us say, uh, well, what we're going to look at next week when we finish the second half of chapter 14, we're going to find that Paul also believes that the church service, not only is it for instruction, but it's specifically for believers. And he'll even say, what do you do if a non-believer shows up? The idea, it's for believers and it's for instruction. Uh, So here at Calvary, we would say that we are believer-focused, but we are seeker-aware. Believer-focused, but seeker-aware. So we would not fall into what's commonly called a seeker church, where first of all, we're believer-focused because we give instruction from the Bible, and yet we're seeker-aware. We want to be careful how, how we do things. So does that mean that we are in some way diminishing the spirit because we focus in on instruction? And uh, there are those who will say, you know, Pastor, we really want to have a, more of the move of God's spirit within the congregation. Well, I, w- I wanted to just take a few moments as we wrap this up to give just a little bit of a Calvary perspective why we do what we do and, and why we understand things the way that we understand them. We certainly believe in the gifts of the spirit we, we believe that Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity, that when Jesus came to the earth, he was fully God and he was fully man. And when Jesus spoke because he was God, he spoke because he was God, what came out of his mouth was literally the word of God. That's why when we come to the Bible, we refer to it as the word of God or that it's God-breathed, that, that God, this is God's word that's come directly out of his mouth. So when one day Jesus was speaking, and Jesus is God, and he's speaking, and we notice something in John chapter 6. As he's speaking, Jesus says this. There in your outline, it says, it is the Spirit, and I've underlined that word Spirit, who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Then he says, the words, underline that, that I have spoken to you are... What's it say? Our spirit and our life. We would hold that because his word is spirit, his words are spirit, that there is nothing more spiritual than giving God's word out. Because that's what God uses to change us. So here at Calvary, we believe that it's the operation of the Holy Spirit as we give God's word. He takes his word and he works in our life for edification, exhortation, consolation. He's doing that. And I see that. I see that. Because sometimes I'll be teaching and somebody comes up and they'll say, I've had people come up and say, 
did my wife talk to you? It's like, well, no, she didn't. She didn't. I don't know what you're going through or anything like that. Because you're just, or, or, or they'll say, Pastor, you know, when you said that, it was just the right thing I needed to hear. And sometimes people will come up and say, you know, when you said this, I knew that God was saying this. And I'm thinking, I, I, I don't think I said that, but we'll go with it. So it, it worked for you. But God uses that. God uses that. Now, so we believe that there's nothing more spiritual than giving the word of God out. The second thing I'd want to say would be that we believe that, that Jesus was the most spirit-filled man who ever walked the earth. The Bible says that he came in the fullness of the spirit. He was empowered by the spirit. So having the spirit of God in us, we would conclude would make us look a lot more, make us act a lot more like Jesus. Would that make sense? So if it's really God's spirit, he's going to manifest himself in us, making us look and act a lot more like Jesus. So when we think about the manifestation, and you remember that in chapter 12, we said that to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit. When God's spirit manifests within us, what does that look like? Well, uh, we, we know what it looks like because in Paul's letter to the Galatian churches, he says this there in your outline. It's the verse we're all familiar with, but this is what it looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit, now the fruit of the Spirit would be the manifestation, the outcome, the result, the fruit, however we want to say it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's the next one? Self-control, self-control. So when we see the outcome of the Spirit, we understand that that would mean a greater self-control. So we would be very, very different from our friends, and, and I do say friends, who would say that the manifestation of the Spirit is a losing control. We'd say, as we understand Scripture, and that's how you know when something is the Holy Spirit, because the Bible outlines it, that's how you test the spirits by the Word of God, that self-control is the manifestation of the Spirit, not losing control. Does that make sense? And so it, it's, it's self, self-control, not losing control. When we get further into the chapter next week, one of the things that will be said will be that the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. The idea is if you're operating under the spirit, you're not going to lose control. You're always going to be in, in control as, as you operate that way. We're going to stop it right there, and we'll pick it up the second half next week. Let's go ahead and close them. Did you find that interesting, by the way? Nobody ran out of the, nobody ran out or anything, so good. Marvin found it interesting, so that's, that's good. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your spirit. Thank you for the work that you're doing in this congregation. Lord, thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is profitable, it's living, it's active, and uh, there's nothing that, that your word can't do. And we thank you, God, that your words are spirit. Father, it's our desire to go to your word and discern what is really you and, and Lord, what is not. And Lord, to operate with great grace as we go forward and, and to to be in step with your spirit as you reveal yourself through your word. Help us to be a congregation that represents you well in this time and place, in this community, in our world. 
Help us to represent you well as individuals. Keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.